welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Danny Park, a South Korean journalist based in Hong Kong who covers all things cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and metaverse. Having lived in Canada and the US, he talks to us about growing up Korean, what K dramas tell us about the Korean society, and his favorite metaverse. Welcome to Proudly Asian, Danny. Thanks for having me, Isabel. It's great to be here. I'm so happy that you're making time for us for this weekend because I've been very excited about listening to the Korean perspective since I started producing Proudly Asian because these days Korean dramas are basically the hype. You can't go without a second. I'm not talking about anything related to like Korean dramas, Korean entertainment, Korean celebrities, and even in the past couple of weeks we saw maybe. The most loved Korean celebrities are um, getting married, um, who are uh, Sonia Jin and Hyun Bin, and it's just like you know the, their wedding pictures were everywhere on social media. So definitely, I'm very excited to hear about your experience growing up as a Korean and also your story that is basically uniquely yours. But then to get the conversation started. I would like to start off with um, one of the questions that I ask every single guest of mine, which is, um, "Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up?" Uh, first of all, I'm Danny. I'm currently a journalist based in Hong Kong. Um, I work for uh, a crypto news company named Forecast, um, where I write articles mainly about Korea, and I occasionally produce video. And um, aside from what I do, I am a 26-year-old Korean guy. Living day to day in central Hong Kong, um, where these days I just spend uh, most of my time at home in my room with my laptop. That's my best friend these days. <laughs> and yeah, I, I've been in Hong Kong since 2015, um, studying for uni and all. And I haven't been back in Korea for uh, a year, so I might be um, a little less Korean. <laughs> but I I hope I can bring some um, great insight of what South Korea is. But then I mean a quick question. You you know these days um you you're stuck in your own room um with your laptop. Do you also watch Korean dramas as a Korean yourself? Um I get asked that a lot. <laughs> but hate to disappoint you. I'm I'm not a big fan of Korean dramas or dramas in general because um I think I have a very short attention span. So I can't wait till you know episode six for them to hold hands and <laughs> episode um, sixteen to get married. I, um, that's why I I um, I prefer to watch movies. Um, I I like movies from everywhere, but of course South Korea has some great movies. Mm. So yeah, these days um, in my room I just um, go on Netflix or some other platforms, watch. Good movies, including Korean ones. Yeah. 
Nice. Now, going back to the conversation, I just want to know what was it like growing up in a Korean household? Um, what was breakfast food like, and what are some of the experiences that you think would bond most people who grew up in a Korean household? I think since you men- mentioned breakfast, I think uh, having that big breakfast meal every morning, I think that's a common experience for a lot of Koreans, and that's something that bonds us together. Nowadays, as Korea becomes uh, more and more westernized, I think it's less common. But when I was growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, my family's breakfast meals would be as big or even bigger than what we have for dinner. It would all, always have um, steamed rice, uh, hot soup, often kimchi or denjang jjigae, and a main dish, maybe fish, um, and a side dish. It could be kimchi or it could be um, potatoes, glass noodles. I think Koreans and Korean parents really believed that a big breakfast meal will help um, their kids or themselves get through the day. Uh, it gives them energy. So I think um, Koreans had a big emphasis on having a good breakfast. Mm. And um, I really, growing up, I really took that for granted. I, I hated just waking up. A million ago, and then having to um, eat hot rice and hot soup, I thought it was quite uh, <laughs> annoying, <laughs> I, and I took that really for granted. But um, as I'm living away from my be- away from my parents and away from my family, um, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they prepared all the meals. I'm too lazy even to make cereal in the morning or <laughs> just throw something in the air fryer. But yeah, um, looking back, that 20 to 30 minutes um, in that table with all the family members um, talking, eating, I think that memory really stays. And I think it also does for a lot of Koreans. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that because every time when I watch Korean drama, I just have no idea how, like, um, those Korean mothers and grandmas, like, how did they prepare mm. all those big meals? And I think that kind of skill kind of just got lost in mine and, and your generations as well. Yes. Because these days, um, I'm the same as you. Like, now I live alone and I even struggle to make myself a cup of tea or or, mm. <laughs> or like a simple sandwich. Yeah. I think it's such, a, it's such hard work. But since you, you mentioned... Um, now you're also sort of um, living by yourself, taking care of yourself. Mm. And obviously, I know that you've lived in quite a few places overseas, mm. outside Korea. So now you're based in Hong Kong, obviously. So how has the experience been for you as a Korean living overseas? So, yeah, I, I've lived around a couple of different places. When I was 10 to 12, I lived around Vancouver, Canada, in this small town called Chilliwack. Mm. Um, when I was there... 2005, I was only one of the few Koreans there. And now I hear there are hundreds and thousands. But anyways, yeah, 10 to 12 in Canada. And then I've spent a year, my first year in high school in San Antonio, Texas. Now I'm in Hong Kong. And um, I think that experience really shaped me, um, shaped who I am today. At age 10 to 11, just being um, in Canada alone, I was I was surrounded by people um, whose culture that I don't understand, and they didn't understand my culture, and I wanted them to understand it. And 
I think they felt the same as well. So it kind of established a trait uh, of mine where when there's a situation, I just tend to step back, uh, try to put myself in the other person's shoes because um, living abroad at a some, such a young age made me realize that everyone just grows up differently. Everyone comes from a different background. And I just think mm, I've never lived a second of their life. So I never fully, I will never fully know um, where they're coming from or what they think. So I think that's a pretty big part of who I am today. But now at this age, um, I feel like with this way of thinking, um, I tend to lose focus on what's important for myself. Um, I feel like sometimes since I think too much about how the other person's thinking, I tend not to have a backbone. And so, yeah, so at this age right now, I'm still trying to find that good balance. Mm -hmm. But I think living abroad at that age really, it had a big impact on my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, just about um, what, what you just said, right? I kind of think a bit differently because from what I know about you, you are actually the kindest person, uh, one of the most, the kindest person I, I know. And also, I, I don't think necessarily you, it could be like thought of as like you having no backbone because you, you are just mm. very considerate. You're very kind. You would always like to be in the place of understanding what other people need, other people's motivations, and you would like to hope for the best for other people. So I do think it takes extra strength and understanding and maturity for you to do that. So I think it's good that you are still like this um, at this age. You're not, you're not, you know, like getting to the dark side where like, oh, like everyone else is so unkind. I'm going to do the same, which I think it takes a lot of courage to, mm. to stay kind um, as you continue on mm. with, with your journey. Mm. But then to non-Koreans, one thing about maybe one impression about Koreans to non-Koreans is that they find it a bit hard hard to make friends with Korean, um, such as their classmates and their mm. colleagues, um, because they, yeah. they tend to hang out quite a bit among themselves. Um, I just want to mm. know, is that true? Um, I've heard that a lot from my foreigner friends, and I've been asking that same question in my head, um, like, why? <laughs> and I can't deny that this is not true. Um, even um, when I was studying um, uni in Hong Kong, uh, Korean people just form this clique and they're usually spotted around the nearest Starbucks and from my personal view I think Koreans just feel safer around other Koreans um, you know South Korea is a very homogenous country um, I, and I personally I remember how uneasy I was the first day of school in Canada because I was so being I was very used to being amongst a group of Korean people. And I remember how um, uncomfortable I felt the first day of school in Canada and Texas because it was so different. And I feel like since I grew uh, most of my life, I grew up most of my life in Korea, I still have that uneasiness a little bit left in, in myself. So yeah, I think that the Korean people forming a group when they're abroad, I think it comes from the fear of the unknown. Because mm. I, I think, yeah, they just feel, they just want to feel more comfortable. 
they I think they're they're feeling what I felt the first day of school in Canada and in Texas. And yeah, but I would also have to say that even within the clique or even within the Korean group, um, it also happens a lot to people who stand out, like um, someone who's too um, westernized or someone who is less reserved than the majority of Koreans. So I think this characteristic of Koreans, it's, I think Koreans want that sense of belongingness mm. um, in this foreign setting. I think that's why they tend to exclude um, foreigners or outliers. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what you just described there, I also think people can't just single out Koreans for just sticking with each other, right? Because I think it's something mm. that is innately human. Human just mm. seeks the feeling of comfort and we just thrive on feeling we belong to the community or mm. wherever we are. And I do think that most of the time when people describe how Koreans tend to stay with each other, it's not really like Koreans describing themselves as that. A lot of the times it's, you know, in the background or, or with the context of like foreigners mm. or like people would describe Koreans in a foreign country um, who tend to have that kind of behavior, which I think in a way, after hearing what you just said, it's just some natural behavior that anyone would do. Even if I was like somewhere that's not familiar to me, I would mm. probably try to seek comfort by maybe finding some people who might look a little bit more like me or sound a little bit mm. more like me as well. Mm -hmm. But now I would like to talk more about the Korean society as a whole and also pop culture, K-pop, K-dramas, which have taken the world by storm. So now to most people, of course, their first touch points to anything Korean these days would be K-pop, K-drama or Korean food. Mm. But as K-drama takes the world by storm, one thing I couldn't help but notice is the Korean language and how they use honorifics, which is something that is totally unfamiliar to me. Can you tell yeah. us about how that works? Yeah, I, I heard the honorifics, they only exist in very few languages, including um, Japanese and Korean. Um, but I think it tends to stand out in um, in Koreans because people people think about honorifics being used in Koreans because, as you said, K dramas and Korean content is booming right now. So if I want to put it as easily as possible, you have to put yo in in the back of everything when you're talking to someone older or someone that senior. Um, I think that's the first step. So. For example, 밥 먹었어 is did you eat? You would say that to a friend or someone who's younger. And 밥 먹었어 요 is have you eaten in honorifics? You say that, um, yes, say that to someone that's older. Mm. And this is put in, um, put in the simplest way possible. But um, of course, there are variations there are some some other words that are more complex um, in terms of the transition to honorifics like um, some words you have to put 하세요 like 안녕 and 안녕하세요 mm. so I think a lot of um, foreigners that want to learn Korean or are learning Korean they they struggle with this it's a barrier mm. Yeah, um, I personally don't mind if um, 
a foreigner friend of mine just comes up to me and use the casual form of Koreans. But I would have to say that um, some Koreans, especially uh, some of the older folks, they, <laughs> they get... Um, they get mad or angry, <laughs> even if it's a foreigner talking to them. <laughs> so wow. you, have to, you have to be careful um, that you put, just just put yo behind everything. Even though it doesn't make sense, they will just think, oh, he's, he's trying to use autoerotics. Okay, that's a good advice. Yeah, so just put yo behind everything. <laughs> yo, yeah. okay. Yes. But I mean, for foreigners who learn the Korean language, um, normally they would also start from learning the formal way of speaking, right? Mm. I see. So so would any of your foreign friends who know how to speak um, the Korean language, like would they tend to sound super formal to you when they try to speak to you in Korean? A lot of my foreigner friends, when they're talking to me in Korean, they tend to mix up the casual form and the honorifics. Mm. Um, so if I want to explain a bit further, um, Koreans usually use the honorifics to someone who's older or also someone who you've just met. Right. So until the other person, um, usually um, the older person, suggests that um, we talk in a more casual form, um, Korean people usually um, continue talking in honorifics mm-hmm. if they're like, if they're not friends or if they've just met. Even older people use honorifics to younger people Mm. if they've just met or if they're not too familiar with the other person. Um, So there needs to be that consensus um, that has to be met. Okay, let's use casual form. And it usually happens over a cup of of soju or... Okay. <laughs> so Mac or chicken. But what you just mentioned there, I mean, let's say, does that mean you could essentially know this older person, let's say for a hundred years, and as long as the person doesn't invite you to speak casually, you have to speak formally with this person for a century. Will there be like any social codes or unspoken understanding at some point that like, you know, we've known each other for such a long time. Even if you didn't invite me, I'm going to start talking casually to you. That's, that's risky, I would have to say. <laughs> even a century... Even even not if long guy, enough. Even if <laughs> even even if your friend is just a year older, you don't initiate it. <laughs> That's safest. Um, yeah, it could it could spark some um, conflict. Okay, okay, but, that's a yeah. very good advice. Now, moving on with Korean dramas, I know that there's a whole list of Korean dramas and movies that have already received um, recognition globally and Mm. in Hollywood, and the most recent ones being Parasite, Squid Game. So I just want to know, what what do they tell us about the Korean society? Are they painting an accurate picture of what Korea is like these days? Um, it's, It's funny to see how Korean content, they're on the extremes. Like dramas and movies in from Korea, they're either very gritty and gory or it's very much like a fairyland. Um, like the K-romance dramas, they're, it's a Cinderella story where in Squid Game, you're, <laughs> you're like hundreds of, hundreds of people are murdered because they couldn't break the sugar candy right. Mm. So, so I would have to say the real Korea mm, is kind of, it, it lies in the middle of those two. Um, but 
the things, the kind of things that's portrayed in Parasite or Squid Game, like um, classism, is still very valid. I'm sure people don't, but you can't take Parasite and Squid Game literally. It's it's kind of an extreme. Same goes for the romance um, romance dramas. And um, for people who want to know who want to know um, what Korea is really like, I have this um, film director that I want to recommend. Um, he's actually my favorite Korean um, film director named Lee Chang Dong. Um, He's shot multiple movies from the 90s. Um, I think he's also been a minister of culture in Korea for his um, accolade, for his um, uh, achievements. Well, um, his depictions of South Korean society is very, um, very, very real. It's very accurate. Um, I think it's very close to how I view Korea. Um, there's this movie called... Um, Peppermint Candy, that's from um, 1997, I think, which traces back the life of a Korean man who experienced um, the democratic movement and the uprisings in the 80s as a military soldier and the rapid economic development in the 90s while he's forming a family. And it, it really helped me understand um, the lives of my parents and the lives of the older men in Korea, and I think that'll I think um, it'll be very helpful helpful for um, foreigners who wants to get a deeper view into Korean society. Um, his other films include uh, living as a as a disabled couple in Korea, or. His most most recent film was about um, the youth these days being very lost, so I highly recommend um, his movies. Yeah, I think they'll they'll help you understand Korea better than um, Squid Game or mm. or Crash Landing on You. Yeah. <laughs> Well, crash landing is just, I mean, I also, when I was watching that, I also wondered, oh, is it actually possible to find your true love by just crash landing um, into North Korea, you know, um, in search of my region? Mm. <laughs> I haven't watched that drama, so I, I'm not too familiar with it. But from just what you told me, I, it would be very hard to survive <laughs> just landing in in North Korea. It's more like <laughs> the moment you land in North Korea, you probably get shot by Lee Jung-kyuk, not like fall mm -hmm. in love with him. <laughs> yes, a very brutal end. Oh dear, yeah. oh dear. But now, um, as a Korean yourself, how, how do you feel about Korean pop culture mm. taking center stage globally? You know, uh, as we know, the Korean wave only began around in late 1990s, right? And mm. there was a period of time where Japanese pop was considered even more hot than K-pop or K-drama in Asia. So as I recall, a Korean YouTuber um, whose video I, I was watching a while ago, and she was basically describing this experience of like from no one paying much attention to the Korean mm -hmm. culture to a point yeah. where people eventually began telling her like, wow, you're Korean, you're so cool. Mm. Did the same happen to you? Yeah, as I explained a little earlier, I went to Canada in 2006 and then I came back and then I went to the US in 2012. So in 2006, no one knew what Korea even was. If Even if they did, it was 
about North Korea. And yeah, they, I think they had no clue that even pop music existed in South Korea. And when I went back to the States in 2012, that was exactly a month after Psy dropped Gangnam Style. And that was the identity of Koreans. That was South Korea. South Korea equaled Psy Gangnam Style. And now I'm in um, Hong Kong in this age with Parasite winning Best Picture, in the uh, winning the Oscar and Squid Game blowing up. I think I think it's very cool, and I'm very proud. Um, I remember seeing this clip of um, Korean American actor Randall Park um, go on Ellen, the Ellen show, and then he explained how he cried at the at the BTS concert. <laughs> Even though it was the first time he was um, he, he was seeing them or he, he wasn't a big fan of them, but he still cried because it was just seeing that hundreds of thousands of people of all nationalities and all color, they're dancing to a Korean artist. So I think what I feel is similar to what Randall felt. Um, some people may not think it's a big deal, but... Yeah, as I told you, I remember how little was known about Korea back in 2006 or how unappreciated um, culture and pop culture of South Korea was um, in the U.S. or just anywhere. To imagine, um, those were just two or three years of my life, but for people like Randall, having grown up um, as a Korean um, in the U.S. in the 80s and the 90s, I, I imagine that it'd be very touching for him. Strangely, I also felt very proud um, when I watched Shang-Chi mm-hmm. or even Black Panther. I think I'm just all for um, people finding their voices, especially minorities, out of minorities. Yeah, so I just hope that people don't think, don't isolate this K-wave and phenom- phenomenon to just, oh, Koreans just make great music or great um, action thriller movies, but actually there is great content produced everywhere and they just weren't represented. I just hope people will start to think, who knew, you know, such great things were made in Korea? Maybe, you know, I'll give it a try on a, on a soap opera from Denmark or pop music from Thailand. I hope the Korean wave opens people's eyes to just all culture around the world. Yes, and I completely agree. And and that was a a great point that you just mentioned. The fact that Korean pop culture is so popular, it shouldn't be um, seen as just, oh, Koreans just make good music, but it should be seen as um, a way, like you just mentioned, I'm just repeating what you said just now, um, basically to... Let people know that great content could come in all forms, in all languages, from all places. Mm. Since we're talking about the Korean entertainment industry, I I know that it is not all glamorous. Because Mm. over the years, there have been tragedies around Korean celebrities taking their own lives, or even some of them Mm. getting involved in some pretty um, large-scale scandals, um, which give the world a glimpse of the reality in the industry. But, I mean, obviously, Hollywood has a similar toxic and harsh culture as well, which was exposed quite a few years ago. So how do you feel about this topic? Korean Wave, obviously, it, it, it has a dark side, 
I think fans of K-pop and fans of K-dramas they they know by now that um Korean culture Korean uh Korean the world of celebrities and world of pop culture in Korea it it can be very toxic. My personal take on this is that Korean people um we over glorify celebrities. Um popular celebrities that is loved globally reach this godlike status and when people think um they can do no wrong um it it really um bothers me in some sense because because once they do make a mistake people will will turn on them and you know start bashing them um so the celebrities that have taken their own lives are commonly the ones who were very much loved in the first place and then something they did just ticked the Korean people in the wrong way and people just turned turned on them so i think just Korean people in general they should have in mind that um celebrities either popular with a good image or with with a bad image they're all people there are there are no saints or devils like your favorite host of the reality show could be the most cunning person in the industry and the most hated actress in Korea might be the sweetest if you meet in person so i i think everything you see on tv is constructed Yeah, I mean, definitely the internet needs a lot of kindness mm. rather than like brutal bullying of people because I wasn't aware of how the Korean entertainment industry was until the past couple of years where you can't just ignore the Korean entertainment mm. industry at all and then it really shocked me because I I'm never one to fan girl anyone. I'm mean, still until mm. this day um or even when I was much younger, I wouldn't have like poster of my favorite celebrities or like there wasn't an actor that I would be crazy about that I would think that person could do no wrong that person is perfection mm. that person is basically mm. an angel but then it just you know um watching how these um cyber bullying unfold over you know celebrities and and how that eventually led to the um tragic suicides mm. it really shocked me how some people really thought that way that maybe their favorite celebrities would never poop maybe their favorite celebrities mm. would never swear <laughs> Um yeah. it's just a little bit insane but I mean mm. the other thing I find interesting is I know there was this um very famous South Korean actor um well loved by a lot of um Koreans despite being involved in multiple sex scandals um he still mm. appears to be doing well with um not so mm. much damage done to him um so I I just want to know why like do people tend to overlook the flaws of celebrities who achieved like you said the god status and does the same happen to female celebrities if they were involved in scandals could they be excused that way i think there is definitely a double standard for celebrities you know two kinds celebrities with godlike status and and the other celebrities who um are on a normal tier and also male celebrities and female celebrities. I remember um maybe a decade ago um a group of celebrities they were smoking marijuana. A very well-known, very respected male celebrity made a comeback perhaps uh a year after. The female celebrity, she 
hasn't made one until today, uh, like more than 10 years later. I think she just disappeared. Of course, I think it's way harder, I think, uh, for lesser known female celebrities. For female celebrities, I think Korean people, they just hold a, a stricter standard. Um, they just expect them to be very pristine, very innocent, clean. Even if they're older, like well over the age of 30. Of course, another thing we also know about South Korea is that it is not the most gender equal nation mm. compared to its other Sadly. major counterparts mm. and neighbors. I mean, do, do you think that is true? And, and why do you think that's the case according to um, your own personal experience? Was there any, you know, was there anything that would be instilled from an early age in schools or in education? It's true. Gender inequality exists. Um, it's still very evident in South Korea. Um, compared to how advanced the whole country has become, I want to say that it's gotten better in the, in the sense that gender issues, the inequality, um, the issues are brought open publicly and politically, where a decade ago, no one would really want to discuss it. Being a guy, I can't say that it's gotten better because um, I've never felt the disadvantages of being a female in Korea. But I do, I do think it's it's come far in in the last decade. Growing up, I never felt that there was inequality between boys and girls. But now that I look back on how I grew up, I think I think there is. Um, at, at home, I, I have two older sisters and it was kind of a given that my mom cooked and my two, sis two older sisters, they did the dishes. And I, I consider my family as very non-traditional, very open-minded uh, compared to my friends' families. And it's, it still happened. Of course, um, my sisters would tell me to do the dishes or they, they will um, beat me until I <laughs> fold the laundry. But it was kind of the de default that they do it, you know? And I've heard far worse stories from other families, my friends' families, where it really, really sounds like the daughter and the son, they're growing up in a different family mm. because they're being treated so differently. A lot more opportunities and privileges to the son. And for daughters, it's more like find a good husband and that's it. Mm. The current younger generation, having grown up in that environment and in that setting, I think it's natural that there's this clash of genders that's happening right now in South Korea. Recently, um, there was a... There was a situation where an organization of physically disabled people in Korea, they protested in a subway. Um, they were calling for better mobility rights. And the protest, it actually sparked online abuse towards the protesters because, because people were mad that the protest caused major delays in the subway in the morning golden rush hour. I think it's a similar case where people downplay what they've never experienced. Mm, I see. Yeah, I mean, what you just mentioned there, one phenomenon I find quite 
funny or quite interesting is that as obviously my only touch point to anything Korean would be like mostly K-dramas mm. on Netflix, right? And um, I just realized, I just had this observation about in most recent Korean dramas, they tend to mm. um, have the female lead characters being put in a very powerful position these days yeah. like crash landing on you and uh, mm. i'm pretty sure there are a few more where the female is actually more powerful richer mm. uh, more influential than the male lead so they like going for that kind of girl boss vibe and boost mm. the likability of the male leads by portraying them as submissive caring dependent on the female leads mm. despite being incredibly handsome and almost two meters tall yeah. and then when when i really um, look into the the information of these Korean dramas, not all of them were directed by female directors also. Mm. So do you have any take in terms of why that is? Um, why do they put females in a more powerful position? Wouldn't it make a lot of like male viewers um, in South Korea feel quite uncomfortable? Um, I see a lot of dramas are doing that. They can do it because obviously the main audience of romantic dramas, they're usually female. So I think it kind of reflects the desire of the main group of consumers in the society, in today's society where both genders are fighting. Like females, they want to be portrayed as stronger. Funnily enough, um, a lot of these dramas, the men who are portrayed as weak in the first episode or two, they end up becoming strong, successful. They take charge. And the strong female character, they, the male character, he breaks her strong, persona and then she becomes like this sweet mm. more soft some would call wife material i i guess things have changed that these dramas are made where girls are um there are girl bosses the girls are more dominant but um obviously not all the way mm. and we should also consider that a drama having a strong dominant female lead is still considered something extraordinary it's still something very considered quirky what we just said is very true because most of these korean dramas are actually just like fairy tales to people so mm. in a way it sends a very disturbing message about like oh females could only be powerful when when they are in fairy tales mm. but we know uh, metaverse is something that mm. um south korea is kind of leading being one of the leading nations um in the development of metaverse despite metaverse is actually not a completely new concept and i know mm -hmm. that you report about about cryptocurrency, blockchain, and metaverse. But um, first mm -hmm. of all, I know that you recently wrote an article bringing awareness to mm. sexual harassment of minors in the metaverse, which is a very mm. important topic to highlight because I still remember when I was um, kind of exploring this South Korean um, metaverse mm. called Zbeto. I'm not sure if I said it right. Zbeto, yeah. I was also, you know, I was just roaming around. I saw a lot of mm. different avatars also roaming around. They were free mm. to engage in any sort of conversations in any given chat rooms or game rooms mm. that exist in the metaverse. Metaverse, and I couldn't help but thinking, were there any like age restrictions, right? Like, w were there any mechanisms that were in place to protect um, anyone who would be just 13, 12 years old um, from any harm um, that they might potentially come across in these mm. metaverses? So my question is, you wrote a story about it. What does it tell us about the prominent cyberbullying culture in South Korea? And will it cost South Korea the leading position in the metaverse space if they 
don't do something to protect the miners about this. Yeah, um, there there have been several cases where uh, a miner was harassed, sexually harassed, and um, abused on the metaverse in Korea. It started with getting um, lewd messages, lewd chats, um, asking for personal pictures in in exchange for game items or game money. Um, there were some instances where the offender used the avatar to touch the victim's avatars in different places. The problem is that there are there the legal system is not ready to battle this yet. There is no there are no sanctions. There the the platforms of course since there's no law um, binding them to prevent these problems. There are no age restrictions, no um, bans that would actually eradicate the problem. Even if the platform operators, they ban the offender, it's really easy to make just, just make another account and be on the metaverse because a lot of the metaverses, they just require um, a name or the date of birth, which doesn't have to be true. Today, it's more dangerous because... Um, on the metaverse, cyberbullying can come from everywhere. It's such a global platform. And bullies in South Korea, they can affect other users around the globe. So I think it's very important that the platform operators, they take measures to prevent any abuse on the platform. I don't expect the platforms to, um, to do that at the risk of losing a user, losing the number of users. So recently, a, a lawmaker in Korea she proposed that the platforms will be held accountable for any um, any cases of cyberbullying or abuse on the metaverse. I think those laws should be enacted, um, so they could have the platforms step up to stop those problems. I think that's the only way. Yeah, while. Obviously, the opportunities um, in the metaverses are huge. They sound incredibly exciting. I do think um, the first thing that, that comes to mind to any like metaverse developer, any regulators, should always be the protection and safety of its users, especially the minor users. So definitely, it's still a topic to be discussed over time, and it's also a very important one. But now... On a lighter note, since you report daily on the development of metaverses, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, what is your favorite metaverse? That's a good question. Um, so I've gone on several metaverses for research purposes. I haven't picked uh, one world that I want to live forever <laughs> in. I'm, I'm still reviewing my options. But um, there was one that caught my eye, um, which is called Spatial, S-P-A-T-I-A-L. Mm. Um, it's a metaverse dedicated to exhibitions, art exhibitions. So the whole metaverse, you can see it as one big art gallery. So you know that um, NFTs is booming in the art world. And since the pandemic, and especially in Hong Kong right now, it's very hard to go to exhibitions it's it's hard to experience art but on the metaverse you can visit hundreds of galleries in a day 
just by roaming around in your avatar. And you can also get a chance to talk to the creators and the artists if they're online. I think that's a good platform for people who are creating art in this time where it's physically difficult to visit those um, galleries and experience art. And I, I want to say that the metaverse is just starting. Um, and I'm very excited for what's coming and the things that are being, be being developed in the metaverse. Um, one Hong Kong blockchain developer called Animal Brands, they, they recently teamed up with Cube, which is a major K-pop agency, to build a K-pop metaverse um, for fans all over the world to connect and um, you know, talk with their favorite K-pop stars. And that's currently in the works. And just last week, I reported that the Korea Forest Service, they started um, an event with the metaverse where um, if a user on the metaverse plants a tree on the virtual platform, the Forest Service will plant two in real life in fire-affected mountains. So a lot of cool stuff happening in the field. Um, a lot of people um, ask me about the metaverse. What's the big deal? Um, why is everyone talking about it? But I think a lot of people today, they just take it too seriously. Um, I think essentially metaverse is a game and the easiest way to learn and find out about it is just go on a metaverse and just have fun, play, look around. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you in the metaverse, <laughs> Daddy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's time for us to go to the segment. Rapid Fires. In this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions they have got asked at some point in life and also some common biased questions Asians get asked a lot. So, Danny, are you ready? Yes. Let's go. Okay. Don't accidentally end up in North Korea. I have gotten this question since the airing of Crash Landing on You. And I would have to say that it happens. It actually happens. It was a story that haunted me when I was very young. I think it was about 15 years ago. An old Korean lady, an ajumma, she was walking along the shores near North Korea. And then she accidentally ended up across the across the border and then they shot her next question you only listen to k-pop i would have to compare it to justin bieber <laughs> if justin bieber drops a good song as you know he often does you take a listen if you like it you save it on spotify you listen to it i personally i listen to a lot of american music Japanese music, some music from China, and also, yeah, K-pop is part of that. Next question. Mm. Do you eat kimchi every day? Not true at all. <laughs> Not true. People, um, they're shocked and sometimes they're offended when I say that I'm not a big fan of kimchi. Especially um, raw kimchi. I think um, as, as I was growing up I, at school and at home, I was kind of forced to eat kimchi, and that kind of made me hate it. 
And to this day, I, I eat kimchi when I have instant ramen noodles, but I rarely eat kimchi. And you can't have a dog in Korea because Koreans eat dog. A lot of people asked me this question when I was very young and abroad. And now when people ask me this question, they're making a joke where they want to be seen as dumb when they're asking me this. So I, 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 I do think the level of consciousness in general, globally, it's gone up since no one really asks me this question anymore. Next question. Are all Korean guys handsome and rich? Just visit. <laughs> Just visit Korea. <laughs> There's your answer. Um, or maybe try to go to a local Korean supermarket. You'll see plenty of Korean men. You'd be the judge. I mean, <laughs> I would want to say that all Korean guys are handsome and not rich, but I would want to say that all Korean guys are handsome. But you'd be the judge. Travel to Korea. <laughs> I've heard varying responses. I've actually heard from my foreigner friends who visited Korea saying that, oh, actually, um, Korean guys in general are good looking. Or, but some of the um, other friends who visited are like, they just they just shook their shook their heads. Um, they um, they were very disappointed after watching all those K dramas, and then actually visiting Korea. So, yeah, you be the judge. Uh, next question: North or South? I think this is the question that I've been asked the most when um, I was in Canada and in in um, in Texas. Although uh, I think I was trying to hide discomfort, like feeling um, feeling offended. Um, I was just happy at that time that they even knew Korea was divided. They even knew that the whole peninsula is not run by Kim Jong-il at the time. Yeah, now I know it's not such a great thing to ask Koreans. <laughs> Thank you for playing this round of Rapid Bias, Danny. It's been fun, yeah. Now, moving on to the conclusion of the episode, one quick question I want to ask is, is there a very kind of like an unusual Korean phrase that you would like to teach mm. our listeners? Like not your daily Korean phrase, but um, something that's significant either to you or to the Korean society. Uh, I'm, I'm sure this goes for a lot of cultures and countries, but Korea also has a lot of um, proverbs and sayings from the old times that are very insightful. And one of my favorite is 말이 씨가 된다. That means um, a word becomes a seed. So 말 is a word and 씨 is a seed. So a word becomes a seed. So the same saying in English would be, be careful what you wish for, because your word, you know, it becomes a seed and it grows. And um, I personally chose this um, saying because um, I, I think that your attitude towards life can change your future. Um, not only the attitude to, um, in front of other people, but just even to yourself. I know, um, I know being happy and joyful isn't easy and it might not seem as cool as um, 
as you would think. But I think I truly believe that it really helps you just get by day to day. And it's something that my mom used to tell me all the time. Uh, as a young adult in my early 20s, I used to think that being negative is much cooler than being bright and positive. But as I grow older and as I start working, um, start making a living for myself, I I just have like more and more respect for people who have this positive energy. That's a very nice one for our listeners to to learn about. And um, finally, what does it mean to be proudly Korean? I think a lot of Korean people, um, not like me, they're afraid to show pride in being Korean because some people think it might look a little tacky or nationalistic. But I think it's great to be proud of what Koreans have achieved. Um, you know, be proud of BTS, be proud of Squid Game. But I think it's also important at the same time, you know, don't hide the flaws of South Korea, like what we talked about today, like inequality and bullying. It's important to show the problems inside um, to open it up for more recognition. I think it, that's the way that by having the problems open to other countries and to the world, it will lead to people in Korea actually doing something to fix it. So to me, um, being proudly Korean means not being shy to discuss the goods and the bads of Korea. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much for the conversation, Danny. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you. That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong.